Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. In recent weeks, quite understandably, we have been spending a lot of time thinking about political issues in Israel. The truth is that Israel from the inside was meant not to be political. It was meant to deal with some politics, but some history, some culture, music, literature, fascinating people, Jews, Arabs, religious, secular, young, old, native immigrants to try to give a full impression of the real mosaic of people and projects and ideas that make up Israel. But it's the nature of the beast that given Israel's most recent elections and more importantly, the emerging coalition from those elections, that we spent a considerable amount of time talking about some political issues, talking about the Negev and the problems of the Bedouin and the Negev, Uh, We interviewed one organization that's really working very hard to try to, quote-unquote, take back the Negev, and we also interviewed someone from another organization who feels that the best way to fix the Negev is to reach out and give the Bedouin more opportunity. So we see very, very different responses to very similar problems. And um, we want to take some time now and begin to look at other sides of Israel that we've always talked about, but we've taken a little bit of a kind of a side turn away from. Everybody talks about Israel as the startup nation. Uh, Saul Singer and Dan Sinar wrote a book called Startup Nation, which is what gave the uh, the phrase such panache, and everybody knows it. Uh, but even the book aside, and it's a fabulous book, and they actually have another book coming out relatively soon. Even aside from their book called Startup Nation, we're all, we all take tremendous kind of pride, amazement, wonderment in, in this uh, technological marvel that Israel is. But of course, talking about Israel as a startup nation is a big catchphrase for thousands of projects. There's not one project that made Israel into a startup nation. There's thousands, maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of projects of all different sizes that made that happen. That's what happened in the past. But what's happening in the future? What's being done now to perpetuate, to expand, to deepen uh, this nature of Israel and to have a conversation about one particularly fascinating project that I'm willing to go out on a limb and guess that exactly zero of our listeners are familiar with. Um, I've invited a a friend, a former student here at Shalem College named Tomer Suisa, who is doing some really interesting work in one of these projects to sit and talk to learn about his work. So first and foremost, Tomer, thank you for coming to Jerusalem to have this conversation. Thank you. So nice to be here. Pleasure. Big pleasure. And uh, before we get to talk about the project that you're working on, tell us a little bit about your background. Thank you. Um, so I grew up in Parisia, not so far from Natania. Then uh, I think my interest in Israeli society started when I uh, accomplished my Mechina Leadership Academy called Ein Prat. You were in Ein Prat. We've interviewed other people that went to Ein Prat. It's 
a little bit outside Jerusalem, and just to give people again some background, these mechinot really took off after the Rabin assassination. There were a few before, but it was the Rabin assassination that kind of propelled them. They're all different kinds. There's religious ones, secular ones, whatever, but the most interesting ones to me are the ones that mix together religious kids and not religious kids and study a lot of Jewish stuff and Western stuff. And kind of the, the grand dame of all of these programs is the one that you went to, the one that Ain Prat, which was founded by Micha Goodman, subsequently run by Erez Eshel. So you went there. <laughs> Thank you. This is where I found that I want to take a little bit more responsibility on my life. And then, long story short, I found myself in uh, Sarat Matkal. Sarat Matkal is really the kind of the preeminent, the, the premier um, commando unit in the Israeli army. Now, with the same point milestone that I had there, um, I was exposed to a speech given by Hassan Nasrallah that he gave there eight reasons why he see Israel bring to its own destruction. I assume this, this, this speech that you heard from Nasrallah was not in person. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, he gave some speech in Arabic, and you either understood the Arabic or was translated for you. And I you. needed to translate it, and while I see, and I see there little things, and I, I'm asking myself, wait, what, what, where am I as an Israeli 20 years old? What, what role am I taking in the future of Israel? At that moment, I promised to myself that every career milestone that I'm going to, to take, I need to explain myself how it's going to bring to a better and stronger Israel. And when I finished my military service, a friend from my unit said, Hey, Tomer, we're looking for some responsible guy that can run our farm. Are you willing to work in agriculture? And I said, I don't know much about agriculture, but let's go. I met his father. And his father showed me bell pepper and asked me, Tomer, what is that? I told him, this is bell pepper. He told me, no, this is money. If you understood that, you can start working. I understood that and I started working. I finished there. It was a beautiful time. How long did you spend there? Uh, a year. A year. Doing what exactly? I managed the farm, capsicum and dates. I had 30 workers working all day long. It was beautiful. Uh, things that people usually don't know. The Tarava, it's only 6% of Israel land size. It's one of the big producers of bell peppers around the world. It's actually uh, Europe third uh, after Netherlands and Spain. Well, the Arava is again that strip of desert area or arable land in, near the Negev on the eastern side of the Negev. Big miracle. Big miracle. And afterward, I, I, like any other Israeli that wanted to explore the world, I want also to take a trip. But I thought you can take it on a different angle. I saw the Jewish agency pro- promoting their programs of come be a shaliach of a Jewish federation somewhere around the world. And I said, well, that could be a great idea. You can also explore somewhere around the world, but also do something positive to Israel. And this is how I found myself in Peoria, Illinois, the heart of Illinois. A big, big pleasure was, I think, for the first time as an Israeli born to Moroccan family and Iraqi family to meet uh, Jewish peoplehood, it was an amazing opportunity. Is that really true? Like growing up in Israel, I mean, part of your family's from Morocco, part of your family's from Iraq. You are the paradigmatic example of the ingathering of the exiles. But you didn't really have a sense of the notion of Jewish peoplehood until you went to Peoria, Illinois? Surprisingly, I had no sense. Really? I didn't understand what, uh, when we speak about a Jewish state, I didn't understand what exactly does it mean, and I, no, 
didn't understand. I just want to point that out. I want to kind of make it an aside for the people that are listening. Um, because they often ask themselves, yeah, well, why don't Israelis kind of get how important this relationship is here? And here's a guy. Uh, he eventually goes to Shalem College, which I work at. Um, an exceptionally bright student. He was in the most elite commando unit that the Israeli army has. Uh, he's partly from Moroccan parentage, partly from Iraqi parentage. I mean, the combination of Zionist credentials and people from all over the world, you would think this is a guy who clearly has to understand that there's this notion of Jewish peoplehood out there that's critically important, that's part of what the state of Israel is about. And you're hearing him say it actually never crossed his mind until he went on this Jewish agency program and got sent for, what, a year, I think, or two mm -hmm. years? One, one year? Mm -hmm. To Peoria, Illinois. Okay, so what you, it's just important for people to understand how far removed the idea of Jewish peoplehood is from the day-to-day -day experience and mindset of typical Israelis. It's just hard for American Jews to wrap their arms around that because it's such a central idea in American Judaism, as you know. It's not a central idea in Israeli Judaism, which I personally, in my view, not yours, is a huge failure of Israeli education. Um, but anyway, it's, 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 we're here to, here to you, not me. So you're in, <laughs> Illinois, in, in Illinois. What did you do in Peoria for a year? And, uh, and then I was coming back, actually, as, as an ambassador for Peoria now for all my life. And I, I in Peoria, you worked with the Federation, I guess? With the Federation, also with churches. It was just after Protective Edge, so it was also a very sensitive uh, period of time. But uh, working also with campuses, <clears throat> beautiful time, and learned a lot. And then I came back and I felt that, again, maybe I had some very amazing experiences, but I don't know much. And this, that moment I said, I need to go and uh, go to university. And this is where I found Shalem. I think the best investment I did in my life. Uh, paradise for curious people. <laughs> That's a great phrase. We should use it, actually. Okay. <laughs> and after two years or so into the degree, I, I thought to myself, okay, wh wh what's next? What's next? What exactly am I looking for? And I was very lucky to meet a business person named Adi Rosenfeld that uh, he exposed me to different people around the world. And that, that, that person in one dinner was uh, very... I was very fortunate that he introduced me to uh, a, a guy. His name is Elad Shamir. And Elad started to introduce himself and he was speaking about Israel, and he spoke about what is important to him, and then some other folks start to introduce themselves. Meanwhile, I'm looking to Elad to his eyes, and I'm telling him, Elad, I know I'm young, I know that maybe we're born on the, different, on the opposite side of the tracks, but from how do you, the way you introduce yourself, I think that both of us want to do something good to Israel, and if you do something, I want to, I want to do something great together. He looked at me, uh, he had like an odd look, uh, but then after six months, he called and said, Tomer, there is something. I love the way you introduce yourself. I love the enthusiasm. We're starting something. It's going to be called Kinert Innovation Center. It's up in the Jordan Valley. If you're up to, come and join. So you did. So I did. You were still finishing up the degree, right? I was right? still finishing the degree, but uh, toward the end of the degree, I, I would start commuting until uh, until I was I just uh, relocating myself from Jerusalem to the Jordan Valley to a small little kibbutz called Ashdot Yaakov. 
which is fairly far north, just to give people a little bit yes. of a sense of the um, of the of the geography here. The Jordan River Valley obviously is the eastern edge of Israel, and um, it extends more or less from the Dead Sea at the bottom to the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee at the top. And some people would even actually put some stuff a little bit above it. And Ashdod Yaakov is where relative to the Sea of Galilee. Just uh, seven minutes from Sea of Galilee to, to its south, to its most south south point. Uh, probably you're familiar with Ganya and Afikim and this Kibbutzim, so just that moment. Okay, so you go there, and what's this project that he wanted you to work on? So it wasn't Bell Peppers, right? No, but was look how Steve Jobs said about connecting the dots. It's beautiful how we just connecting the dots. I think it's it's a it's the best combination of Zionism and business together. You mentioned before speaking about Israel as a startup nation. Do you know how many startups there are in Israel? Actually, I don't know. It's about 7,200 startups. 7,200 startups. Okay. But when you are zooming in, you see that most of them are cyber and fintech. When you're zooming <laughs> in even a little bit more, you see that most of the startups are operating in Tel Aviv or outside in Tel Aviv, maybe with an Israeli founder. So it raises up the question. So what percentage of them, for example, are based in the larger Tel Aviv area? 86%. 86% of the 7,200 startups in Israel are based in some way in the greater metropolitan area of exactly. Tel Aviv. Exactly. So that's 14% is spread throughout the rest of the entire country. And then it raises up the question, is it a startup nation or it's a startup city? Called Tel Aviv. Exactly. Because we looked at it just, just in the beginning of the project, and then I will drill down what exactly the project is. But we, we saw it and we understood, wait, Tel Aviv doesn't have monopoly on the talent. The next Elon Musk can come from Bet Shean or Tiberias or Kiyat Shmona. It doesn't matter where or even from Elat. We just need to give them the wings and they can fly. We need to build infrastructure. And what this infrastructure is, we understood that in the Jordan Valley, the best infrastructure will be for the next agri-tech, water-tech or climate-tech solutions. Um, so those are three different areas that I think Israel is fairly advanced in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, water tech, we all know, Israel is hugely advanced. Uh, Let There Be Water, which is Yossi Siegel's excellent book about that. But also agritech and climate tech, we'll come back to that. But those are three different areas from the two areas that you mentioned in Tel Aviv, which mm-hmm. are mostly cyber and fintech. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about now doing something in the Jordan Valley, which is on the other side of the country from Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. And focusing in these three areas, climate, water, and agriculture. Mm -hmm. Okay. When we first uh, saw this project, we understood that Jordan Valley strength were knowledge and know-how in agriculture and water. When you look back, when we start just establishing the first kibbutz, Dganya, 120 years ago, it was just there, Kinneret Courtyard. There were a group of Jews coming from all around the world, working up in the morning, at night, sharing stories or writing poems. We probably know Rachel the Poet, Adi Gordon, Beret Katsana, so all the great guys. All around the world, mostly Eastern Europe, though. Yes, mostly Eastern Europe. And one and six of them, this is actually a cool example, six of them said, hey, we have a, a great idea. Let's, let's build up a community based on socialist uh, ideas where we work and we share our revenues and we can bring and we can build out a community out of it and more agriculture communities. And we call it kibbutz. And this is how they founded Ganya. 
And they said, let's run a pilot. And they went to the first VC, back then at the time, the minister of the Israeli, uh, managed by Arthur Rubin. And he gave them the money. And also Kakal and JNF. Kakal is the Jewish National Fund. And together they established the first kibbutz. And wow, that startup succeeded. And then they started to open the next kibbutz, Dganya Bet. And then the next kibbutz, Anigar. Today there are about 270 kibbutzim. Amazing. At that area, Jordan Valley, there are 31 kibbutzim. They have outstanding knowledge in how to grow the banana, for example, that we have in the Jordan Valley. It's not a natural fruit to have in that region. But Israelis were able to have it. And when we see it, we said the data and the knowledge and the know-how is there. How can we combine it to bring the next talent, the next startups, creating these solutions? And this is what Kinerit Innovation Center is. So you have this idea of capitalizing on the talent, the knowledge that's embedded in the Jordan River Valley. People that have not driven up, by the way, it's the 90, I think, is the mm-hmm. road there, right? Mm-hmm. If you've not driven up the 90, um, it's much faster to go the 6 or to go the 2. I know that. But if you want to get to the north, really it's worth driving the 90 during the day. The night is not such a great idea. Uh, but you will see kilometer after kilometer after kilometer of banana fields. And Tomer has just told us it's not even a native indigenous plant here. So it gives you a sense of the tremendous knowledge, expertise, know-how, innovation that's gone into that place. So the idea here for your project is to capitalize on on this area to try to build a kind of a high-tech hub mm-hmm. in the Jordan River Valley as opposed to being in Tel Aviv. Now, mm-hmm. there's a college there, if I'm not mistaken. Right? There's a, it's called Kinneret College? Yes, exactly. Kinneret and College. And what's their role in any of this? Or? So, Kinneret College is one of the shareholders in this project. Kinneret College started, actually, the, the founder of this whole project is a, is a brilliant guy named Kalman Kaufman. He's one of Israel's high-tech pioneer. And, and while being there as a volunteer at the college, at its board, is asking how many of our students actually staying in the region. And surprisingly, 98% are living to Tel Aviv. And when he asked again why, it's because there are no high-paid job opportunities in the region. Then he asked another question. Who is, where, where are the jobs? And he found that the biggest employee in the region, it's an agricultural company called Tzemach, which means plant, mm-hmm. that are sitting 200 meters next to the college. And he asked them, are we in any communication with them? And they said, no. Now, just for our listeners, Kinnerit College established in, uh, around the 1964-ish, something like that. And Semach is, is, uh, is, is almost 100 years old. And, and it's a question. Sometimes we're just next to each other. We don't talk to each other. And we don't talk. And then they said, okay, let's, let's open something. Immediately convinced them. You ask them, hey, maybe we can bring some of the knowledge that we have in the, in the academy, expertise in water and energy, gas. Can we do something for you to create the future jobs? What do you need? And they said, whoa, actually now after, after a survey that we did in our region, we understood that if, if the water price in Israel will change, in 10 cents, almost the entire Israeli agriculture will collapse. 
Because the margins are so slim. Exactly. Only innovation can bridge that gap. They immediately fell in love in the idea. In other words, innovation is a kind of a safety net. In other words, we understand that we're very vulnerable because if the price of water goes up, which it could, right? It's also centrally determined. But if the price of water goes up, our margins are gone. The whole agricultural thing here falls apart. But if we have a tech basis in this area, then we're not vulnerable to the price of water. So they said, let's create something. And they called that baby, they call it Kinneret Innovation Center. And from the moment that they looked for a CEO and they found Elad Shamir, just an anecdote that the son of Yair Shamir, former Minister of Agriculture and grandson of of Prime Minister Shamir, Yitzhak Shamir, Yitzhak Shamir, he he took it as as a national mission and we decided that it's not just going to be a regional innovation center, it's going to be one of Israel's most meaningful focal points for agri-tech, water-tech, and climate-tech. So you started there how long ago? Four years ago. And how many people were part of this this endeavor when you got started? Well, when we just started, we were about five and almost, and also seven, eight volunteers. And now? Today, 23 people and 50 volunteers. That's surrounding us. And, and what are you doing all day long? What, what's this project done in the last wow, four years? Wow. The idea is when, you, when we're saying it, it sounds just this buzzword that sometimes I'm tired even to say it, but building an ecosystem, building an iTech scene. But, but it's like it's really like drying up swamps. But now the swamps are conservatism and saying that, yes, yes, we can. We can change the region and, and the success. Maybe, maybe some numbers. Sure. Today, after four years, we were able to bring four high-tech companies to the region. We were able... The high-tech companies that did not exist before? or they existed. Some, they didn't exist. They, sorry. They exist in Tel Aviv. Okay, and you moved them. And we, they opened the site. Okay. Opened the site uh, on the Kinneret uh, Banks. I think it's the most beautiful office in the area. Especially in the winter, you can see the bird migration. Uh, there is no other place you can see it. Uh, we escort 41 startups. By the way, we see about 80% of the Israeli relevant startups. A- amazing. Nothing that when they started to think about the baby, they thought that this is what, what will happen. Uh, we created a forum. A forum that assembled 76 CEOs of the factories and the most meaningful organization. surrounding so from Hospital Perea CEO to the Packing House of the Avocado CEO and also um, uh, a, a plastic factory or poultry factory named Oftov. All of them sitting together once a month and discussing and learning from best practice from one each other. Something that didn't happen. If you want to make a change, so together with the people. After, after that, we also were able to engage with Kakar, with JNF. We just uh, spoke about them before. And, they and what is JNF doing for you? So they also entered as a shareholder. And today with them, we are building a high-tech park, four levels, stores building with uh, up to be the most advanced water laboratories and also a place for more international uh, companies to come and sit and open the doors to, to the next Elon Musk's. Right. So a lot of people hear JNF. They think of, you know, little bar mitzvah certificates that somebody <laughs> bought you a couple of trees. 
which is important. I mean, the forest thing of Israel is hugely important, and every now and then we have horrible fires, and we have to do it all over again, so it's critically important. But it's important for people to know JNF does much more than that, and here's an example of them investing in the, the uh, expansion of the areas of where Israel can have high-tech and, and all of that. Um, okay, what's, what's next on the agenda? So, actually, when speaking about JNF, JNF, JNF asking themselves what else they can do. And they understand that after creating the forest, you need also to preserve them, to maintain it. And they have also the question, and it's a question about climate. How can we prevent fires? And they also understand that the solutions will come from tech. So all this together come to build this uh, a climate tech center or high-tech park that will sit in, uh, in Semach. By the way, if any of you listeners will come and stop by in here, please be our guests. And buy some dates. I can attest personally that the dates from there are about <laughs> the best dates you've ever had anywhere. But, um, okay, so you've gone from four to 25-ish, mm-hmm. five or six or seven volunteers to mm-hmm. 20, 50. 50, 50 volunteers. You've brought in four high-tech companies. You've got a whole bunch of several dozen startups. Mm-hmm. JNF is investing. I mean, that's already an unbelievable accomplishment. I don't think you probably would have dreamt that that was possible when you started four years ago. I think that would have been sort of pie in the sky. <laughs> um, so, Toma, we have this whole dream of uh, putting together this high-tech uh, park, this high-tech industry area in, in the northern Jordan Valley. Give us some examples of just a few kinds of things that are being developed in that area that are examples of the successes of this project. Wow, wow. So Israel has some great messages to the world, some of the brightest startups that are already there. Um, one day, there won't be any more cowboys. Today, they're developing a drone that will manage your herd instead of a cowboy. Just a drone. So the drone directs your sheep, your cows, your whatever. Automatic. And you just with your tablet or your phone, whatever is easier for you, and take it from point A to B. Meanwhile, also going over your fence just to make sure everything is okay and everything is in, in top shape. And you can just see it. Uh, while Does this already exist? Already exists. The people using it? Uh, start piloting now in the United States, actually. Where in the West, I assume, somewhere, right? Uh, West and South. Interesting. South. Okay. And there are already startups that can forecast how many fruits and vegetables there are there while scanning it with a very smart camera. I will make I mean, it how many easy. fruits and vegetables, let's say, in these dunams or these Exactly. Acres? Going Why over, do I need to know that? Because some of the problem is food waste. And you want to plan your, your value chain ahead. How many fruits you're going to send to the packing house? How many fruits from the packing house are going to be in the retails? And you want to be a smart farmer. You want to know when it's the right time to pick it or not to pick it. You don't want just to waste. The okay. And so there's drones that are doing this, or how's this being different? This is this is with a very smart camera. The, the, it, some of it with drones, some of it on the tractor itself, some of it in uh, four wheelers. Wow. The idea is the camera. Um, by the way, you spoke about drone. Did you know there is already a drone that can pick up apples? Pick apples off the trees? Absolutely crazy. It looks like a like a like a vacuum cleaner. Really looks like something from science fiction. A drone with octopus arms that can can pick up apples. And amazing. When is this going to be a real thing? So this is already uh, running. It's really? uh, it's called Tevela Robotics. I please check them out. Uh, invested by already uh, a Japanese agri uh, machinery company called Kobota. 
So I guess uh, hopefully soon. All right, so we're getting rid of cowboys. We're <laughs> getting rid of food waste. Uh, we're getting rid of people that put ladders against apple trees and start climbing up and cutting the apples down. Um, what about water technology? You mentioned wow. water before. Wow, water. So there is there is already existed technology, but we're not there yet with the with the customer behavior. We can already make automation in watering. You don't need to water your farm anymore, your field. What do you mean? You don't need to water uh, it. For for example, today there was rain on your watermelon field. So already the watermelon got water from the rain itself. You don't need to open your sprinklers. You don't need to do it. So there's computers that calculate how much water came down and how much water you need. And then they open it, the valve by itself. Totally automated. Crazy. And it works. The problem is that the farmers are not yet ready because it's too much futuristic. So they prefer to get a recommendation and, and, uh, and the application itself tell them, hey, do you want to, to open it or not? They don't want to give up control. No, not yet. Not yet. But we can already do it. Science fiction. I wish they would have it with plants at home because I'm, I, I can't do it, but I wish it can work. All right, so we've had, I mean, I'm sure there's many more examples just because our time is limited. So you have these amazing successes. You have drones that are, that are shepherding herds. You've got drones that are picking apples off trees. You have sophisticated cameras that are helping, produ- helping predict the, the productivity of fields. You have, um, you know, completely automated control over water and so on and so forth. This is all unbelievable. Um, there's got to have been failures, right? I mean, nothing like this takes off without something's not going the way you wanted. Can you give us maybe an example of something that you had high hopes for that didn't go the way that you wanted? So, of course, startups, it's, it's, it's something that takes time. But there was an interesting example of a startup that set in our hub. Um, amazing, amazing entrepreneurs. Their, their idea was to explore how many mines there are in the land like uh, Google Under Earth that exploring mapping mines, but it didn't work. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't, it didn't work. And after a year or so, they decided to pivot their ideas, and they said maybe mines is not that interesting, but mapping subsurface utilities is way more interesting because today you want to, to find build... out where the wires are, where exactly. the pipes are, and so you don't dig them up. To... Today you want to build up such a you want to build up a building. You need to get a map from from A. You need to get another map from B for Z. Anyhow, today they can produce that map in five seconds in one place. Wow, crazy! But as soon as they develop that idea, from a team of ten people, they just they rock it to uh, uh, twenty and then fifty and almost one hundred people. We were too small for them. In order to keep them in our area, we needed to find talent. We need to find talent, but we weren't ready enough. So where did they go? They went to Ercilia. Okay. And it was still a little bit too small. And then they moved to Tel Aviv. And it's also now also small for them. And all I'm saying is just uh, in the process of two years, it's that fast. And now they are partly in uh, Tel Aviv, but also have an uh, office in Texas. Uh-huh. It's still an Israeli company, though. Still Israeli company. Okay, but it, you weren't able in the in the Jordan River Valley to hold on to them because there wasn't enough human resources. Exactly. They needed, exactly. Right. So hopefully, as are the students from Kinneret College starting to stay in the Jordan Valley? 
slowly, but yes, one of the things that we develop in order to encourage them to stay, we open our own in-house computer developing uh, company called KIC Dev, uh, giving software solutions to organizations uh, in the region and also international, and we give job to juniors. And we imagine that in four years, there won't be any more juniors and there will be a relevant talent to the high-tech companies that will be in the region. Then we incubate, actually, the next future talent. You know, it's interesting to think about just in terms of the, uh, the impact of these high-tech centers on bringing young people into certain areas. Jerusalem has a lot of things going for it, but one of its huge problems is that secular young people have left the city in mass numbers and are continuing to leave the city in mass numbers, which is going to leave the city basically composed of religious Jews and Arabs, um, which is a huge problem for Jerusalem, which we're not going to get into. And many people hoped that Mobileye, which is an enormous company, um, being situated in Narchotzvim, which is essentially part of Jerusalem, would bring a flock of young people into Jerusalem. And it hasn't worked, actually. Uh, they've tried housing issues. They've tried all kinds of um, you know, other ways of tempting them in. But a lot of these young people would much rather live in Tel Aviv and, and take the train into Jerusalem or Narchotzvim or whatever. So the issue of bringing the talent to these areas or keeping the talent to these areas is not only a frustration of the Jordan River Valley. It's a, it's a problem throughout Israel, which is, worthy of another conversation. But this is super helpful to hear about some of the examples of the successes and some of the examples where you were frustrated by not having enough natural talent. So there's clearly a tremendous amount of exciting tech stuff going on there. It's a kind of um, a, a younger brother, younger sister to the enormous tech scene that's going on in Tel Aviv. But like siblings, they're not identical. They have different interests, they have different strengths, they have different focuses and so on and so forth. Let's just go back to what you said at the very beginning of the conversation. You were 17, 18, and you went to the Mechina, and you had an awareness that you wanted to spend your life doing things that would matter for the country. Uh, the next thing you did was you went to the army, and you were in Sarat Matkal, which we said is really kind of the, the most high-quality commando unit that the army has. Uh, then you went to do agriculture. Then you went to Shalem, which is Israel's first liberal arts college with a Zionist bent without any embarrassment about that whatsoever. Now you find yourself here. Um, if you're going to, we were just uh, talking about different stages of life because you and I are each, you know, sort of going through momentous changes in our lives and our personal lives at this moment. And we were kind of talking about the different stages of one life. What would you imagine you would say to grandchildren? I mean, you're much, much too young for that, but... What would you want to say to the grandchildren that you, God willing, will eventually have one day as they're sitting on your knee and they're saying, tell us what you did back then in the Jordan River Valley. What do you want to be able to say to them about what the impact of these years of your life is on the Jewish state? Well, that, that we didn't stand uh, aside, that we want to be part of creating a better Israel. And it's our responsibility. It was my responsibility. When we speak about Israel today... Uh, we are still the founding fathers and mothers of, of Israel. 70, 80, 90 years, it, it's still a very short time in history of, of a state. So it's us. It's us. I know I'm young, but it's still us. You know, that's, that's I just think, <laughs> it's an actually very powerful way to begin to, to wrap up our conversation because we're living in an era of cynicism. People are cynical about countries in general. People are cynical about leaders People are very often, by the way, cynical about young people. 
who they say just want to stay in their houses and be online and do whatever they're doing. Uh, and you're an example of what has always made Israel so extraordinary. You're an example of the kind of worldview that has made Israel what it is. And you're an example, I think, um, of what's going to make Israel even greater at 150 than it is almost at 75, which is to say what needs to be done, what can be done, what my role can be in this, how does this impact the lives of the people around me? How does it impact the lives of the country? How does it impact the life of the world? It's really the, the embodiment of what, of what Zionism always was and what Zionism still is. And I think that's what's really important for people to know. If they go to Tel Aviv and they go to Independence Hall and they see the place where the Declaration of Independence was read out, it's very powerful. It's very moving. I get choked up every time I do it. And I've done it many, many times. It's not a project in the past. It's a project in the future. And uh, you're one of those many, many hundreds and thankfully thousands of people, I would say, throughout this country uh, for whom dedicating one's life to the furtherance and the betterment of this project is a core part of who you are, right? And that's how you found yourself in the northern part of the Jordan Valley. And that's how you find yourself so excited about the work that you're all doing there. And people should come and check it out. People should come and see that as one of the things that's worth seeing in Israel in addition to all the other more obvious tourist destinations. Thank you. Come, see, cool innovations, robots, anything, everything. Just come and thank you for this. Is there a visitor center there, by the yes. way? Yes, yes, and there will be uh, a big innov- uh, visitor center at 2024 when we will also open our high tech park. But if you're coming before, just please. get in touch with me. I'll get you in touch with him. Exactly. And where's the visitor center going to be? Semach uh, Junction. So uh, right on the corner of the 90 and. The Exactly. Right near Kibbutz Deganya, actually. Exactly. Great. So I actually haven't seen that. I look forward to seeing it. Hope many of our listeners will come and see it. Uh, for giving us some inspiration in an era in which we all desperately need it. And for what you do with your life. Thank you very much. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore... We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.